Welcome to you, wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. As we jump into our teaching series, do want to mention to you the U version is a great uh, application that you can download on your phone or your device has all kinds of reading plans to get you into God's Word. And also, if you'll uh, open the menu in the lower right-hand corner, under Events, search for Arlington FM, you will find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Well, we are in a series called The Dawn Treaders, and it's really a journey through Paul's letter to the Romans uh, based on this one uh, text uh, from almost the end of his letter, uh, Romans chapter 13, here's how it reads. All the commandments of God are summed up in this one, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of God's law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Uh, and then this wonderful uh, word picture that really is the core of our series. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Well, uh, we are taking that as an invitation uh, that we would not uh, allow our lives to be defined uh, by the darkness that may swirl around us, that is in the world, uh, but that we would hearken uh, to the fact that the light of God has come into our world through the gift of Jesus Christ and that uh, we can live toward the kingdom that he initiated and that he uh, uh, opened the door wide for us to begin participating in even now, even today. Uh, well, uh, that being our series and uh, this being the first weekend of December, the holiday season, I want to introduce to you a series within the series, uh, within our uh, journey through Paul's letter to his friends in Rome. In fact, we're going to stay right on course uh, uh, in uh, our progression through Paul's letter. Uh, but over these next four weeks, uh, the month of December, uh, the series I want to teach is called Making Spirits Bright. And uh, if you uh, think, you know what, I've heard those words before, uh, they actually come from a deeply theological song of the season known as Jingle Bells. And uh, that deeply uh, meaningful song uh, has words like this, dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, over the fields we go, laughing all the way, and you say, ha, 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 bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to laugh and sing a sleighing song tonight. Well, uh, this series is not about dashing through the snow, as fun as that may be, but this series is about uh, God's desire to make our spirits bright, uh, to awaken the light within us so that uh, our world is colored uh, by this inward sense of joy that we have. Uh, you know, I love the way this proverb speaks of the importance of, of having light uh, in our hearts. Uh, here's what it says, Proverbs 17, verse 22. A happy heart is good medicine, and a joyful mind causes healing. That, that, those are really wonderfully profound words. A happy heart is good medicine, and a joyful mind causes healing. Uh, but then this contrast, 
but a broken spirit dries up the bones. And uh, what the, uh, the wisdom of Solomon is proclaiming here is that uh, when we have a general disposition, when our spirits are bright, it actually brings healing into our lives and into our world. Uh, Jesus said it like this. Uh, he was talking about uh, kind of that light within us. He said, if the light within you is darkness, how great uh, is that darkness indeed? If that very, the spirit, the essence of a person is generally dark, is despairing, well then how great that despair and that darkness really is. And any of us who have worked through seasons of depression know exactly what Jesus is talking about. It colors our entire world. In fact, uh, getting back to Paul's letter to his friends in Rome, uh, towards the end of his letter, he points out another pinnacle. You know, we've talked about the, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Uh, well, Paul will say this about the kingdom of heaven that we're reaching towards. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating or drinking. In other words, it's not about being right on matters of religious preference. The kingdom of heaven is about righteousness or being uh, rightly aligned with God. It's about peace enjoying God's sense of well-being. And the kingdom of heaven is about joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, see, this is the, at the heart of what God is wanting to do in people, is to uh, bring them back to himself, to share his goodness and his, his uh, bountifulness, his generosity, his peace with us, and to awaken and to stir in us that joy that comes by his Spirit. Uh, and so you might ask the question, well, is this a feel-good series? The answer is yes, it is a feel-good series. But uh, you may have to go through some difficult things in order to get to that joy. Uh, you know, the work of uh, uh, retooling, bringing health uh, to our inner world, uh, brightening our spirits in the truest sense of the word uh, can be an arduous task. Uh, it, sometimes there's a, a million things we'd rather turn our attention to than the work that needs to be done on the inside of us. Well, uh, Paul's letter to his friends in Rome uh, really is about that. It's about uh, putting less attention on the outward things of religion and faith and putting more attention on a genuine and authentic response to God as God has revealed himself to be. And uh, when we come to Romans chapter 7, which we're in uh, this weekend, uh, this passage should come with a warning. You know, it should be like uh, those high-velocity rides that you come to uh, in an amusement park, kind of like this one, uh, this one sign that uh, this was outside of a ride uh, called the Dueling Dragons in uh, Universal Studios. And believe me, uh, when I read that sign, uh, I thought I should not be getting on this ride. It said this is a high-speed roller coaster that includes sudden and dramatic acceleration, climbing, tilting, and dropping. That should have dropped me out of the picture right there, but it goes on. Failure to follow posted guidelines may result in serious injury or expulsion from the park, and I would add in from the ride. And then uh, this list, persons... Uh, of the following conditions should not ride, heart conditions or abnormal blood pressure, expected mothers, uh, arm or leg casts, back or neck or similar physical conditions, motion sickness or dizziness, 
recent surgery uh, that may be aggravated by this ride. And as I read that list, I thought, well, I think I hit at least four of those six. And uh, as I said, I probably should have bailed, but I didn't. I got on the ride, and uh, believe me, I was disoriented. In fact, that was years ago, and I still wonder if I fully recovered from that ride. But uh, here's the truth. When we go into Romans 7, it should come with that kind of a warning. Uh, this may produce dizziness. Uh, you may feel a bit uh, uneasy uh, dealing with some of the truths that Paul uh, presents here. In fact, uh, if I were going to name uh, this passage uh, of Paul's letter, it would be when the truth hurts, uh, because that's really uh, what Paul is presenting, the kind of truth that should hurt. In fact, if it doesn't hurt, there may be an issue. Uh, I remember seeing a, a movie called Free Solo. It was about a guy who uh, would free climb these 3,000-foot vertical cliffs uh, hanging on nothing but his fingertips and a couple of his toes. And uh, when they uh, did some research into what made this guy tick, uh, they found that the part of his brain that should have induced uh, fear and concern uh, really didn't even start to activate uh, the way most people's would. And uh, I think uh, when we deal with a passage like Romans 7, uh, if the truth doesn't make us uneasy, doesn't make us uncomfortable, it doesn't make us feel a bit, uh, you know, like we've lost our bearings. We may not be allowing the truth to uh, penetrate our mental barriers and defenses. Uh, it's kind of like the guy who goes into the counseling office, and uh, the counselor, after listening to him, uh, says some things that really should dishevel him, uh, make him uneasy. But instead, the, the guy finds it easy to just blow off what he's heard, See, when we don't allow the truth uh, to produce the kind of pain or regret that it should, we can't experience the other side of the truth, which Jesus said is meant to set us free. Uh, I've got a friend who uh, his entire life uh, has been kind of a, a narrowing, a constricting, uh, becoming more and more set in his ways because he simply uh, cannot face the pain of anyone speaking truthfully to him about his condition. And we should beware of that. Maybe you've all heard the phrase, uh, that person's just stuck in their ways. Uh, and think of what that brings to mind is uh, someone who's so set in how they see themselves, how they see the world, how things ought to fit together, that nothing can penetrate uh, their mental defenses. Well, this passage should bring us to the opposite end of that spectrum uh, rather than being set in our ways uh, so set that we can't change uh, that this should uh, break us free from our moorings so that we truly can be those dawn treaders and you know you might say well if the truth sets us free what's it set us free from and the answer to that would be from ourselves you know, the truth is meant to uh, break us away from our preconceived notions, uh, our view of ourselves, our view of God, our place in the world. And, uh, you know, the measure of our faith is not what we do. Uh, hear that again. The measure of our faith is not what we do. It's who we're becoming. And uh, if we're to become 
the kind of people that Jesus said, make the tree good and it will produce good fruit. Uh, we need to allow the truth to penetrate our defenses. Uh, see, I think the saddest uh, thing in the world is a follower of Christ who's not being changed. Uh, hear that again. I think one of the saddest realities in this world is someone who's opened up to the, the knowledge of Christ but is not being changed at all because what that indicates is that at some point we've stopped allowing the truth to set us free. Uh, maybe we're accumulating more knowledge, but we're not being changed into the character and the image and the wholeness of Jesus Christ. In fact, a Paul later in his letter in Romans chapter 12 would write these words, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And that, that word uh, metamorphosis uh, is a change at the very deepest level uh, where the truth about God revealing himself through Jesus Christ uh, penetrates uh, beyond our defenses and our barriers and our being stuck and liberates us to this life uh, where Paul will say we're being changed from glory to glory into the image and the fullness of Christ. Well, I happen to believe that's the goal of everyone who says yes to Jesus Christ is to be transformed uh, into his likeness and into his wholeness. Well, uh, here's the intense ride. Uh, this is the gate uh, onto this uh, high-velocity ride that Paul is inviting us on and it begins in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, here's what he says. Now, uh, a little bit of backdrop. Uh, Paul is now talking about uh, how to let go of a response to the letter of the law, the truth, the revealed truth of God, how to let go of that and open up to becoming uh, someone who cooperates with the movement of God's Spirit. So going from rigid devotion or dedication to more of a responsiveness to the, uh, the will and the activity of God. And so with that in mind, uh, Paul says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters? For I'm speaking about those who are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. They know the law, but that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person is alive or lives, and you're going, wait, what? What's he talking about here? Well, uh, Paul is talking about the attachment that someone might have to the Old Testament law and scriptures. And now he says, well, let me explain. Let me give you an example. Uh, for example, he says in verse 2, uh, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. And we say, okay, I get that. Uh, but, Paul says, if her husband dies, she's released from that attachment, from that law. And she's not an adulteress if she marries another man. And so we're thinking, okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, she's bound to him while he lives. Uh, and this is true according to the Old Testament laws of marriage. But if he dies, she's free, uh, and she can go attached to another. And now Paul uh, makes that application to us in our response to God's truth. Here he, he says in verse 4, So my brothers, 
and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. In other words, when you identified with the death of Christ, you died to your attempts to uh, make yourself right with God by your adherence to any kind of religious truth uh, so that you might belong to another. You died to your efforts so that you might belong to his efforts, uh, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And so uh, Paul makes an interesting uh, set of observations here. He says, look, um, when we uh, are, are dedicated, when we adhere uh, to our efforts to keep God's commandments, we're, uh, we're dead to God. We're, we're connected to that law, uh, but we can bear no fruit for God. In fact, here's the equation. Uh, Paul says we have to die to the law in order that we might belong to Jesus and bear fruit to God. Uh, hear that sequence. We have to die to the law, which would symbolize our efforts to make ourselves meritous in God's eyes. We then belong to Christ. We rest in his finished work on the cross on our behalf. We receive God's unmerited favor and acceptance. And then, Paul says, we are able to bear fruit for God. Uh, this, is a, this is a mind bender. Uh, this is where you hang on. This starts uh, challenging some of our presuppositions is that uh, when we have this sense that there are certain things we do that make us valuable to God, there are certain ways we behave, there are certain things we treasure that uh, somehow uh, give us some sense of superiority over those who disregard God. Uh, Paul is saying when that's our orientation, we bear no fruit for God. There's no life of God that happens in us because ultimately our trust is in our own virtue. And uh, we've not seen uh, that really the only way uh, to begin to experience the life of God is by dying to our own efforts. Uh, here's the way uh, Jesus spoke to people who were stuck in that kind of spirituality. He says, look, um, you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. It simply won't work. Those old efforts, those old orientations, virtuous as they may be, as ardent as you may be in keeping them, they simply cannot receive the life of God. Uh, Jesus spoke to some religious leaders of his time. He says, look, here's your habit. You study the scriptures diligently. That uh, would seem like very virtuous behavior. You study God's word. You put your heart into it. You put your mind into it. You make time for it. Uh, you're really applying yourself because you have this supposition. You think that in them you have eternal life. And I know that so many of us, myself included, uh, could fit under that rubric is that uh, I believe that in the scriptures God has revealed himself and that there's life to be found there. Uh, but then Jesus says this, these are the very scriptures that speak about me, and yet you refuse to come to me in order that you may have life. And see, uh, here's what uh, Jesus is making this distinction uh, between uh, uh, arduous religious behavior 
that is unresponsive to the leadership of God through Christ. And uh, this is really uh, the crux of the issue. God does not look on the outward things, but he looks at the heart uh, to see if all of our religious fervor brings us to a place of readiness to receive and respond the voice of Jesus Christ. Now, getting back to Paul's uh, wild ride, uh, he goes on in verse 5. He says, look, when we were in the realm of the flesh, in other words, when we trusted in our efforts to make us right or merit us with God, what was really happening is the sinful passions in us were aroused by the law at work so that we bore fruit to death. Uh, In other words, the life of God was not happening in us or through us. Verse 6, he says, but now something different is in motion. By dying to what once bound us, think of the illustration of the woman who was once married to a man, but he passed away and now she's free to belong to another. Uh, Paul says, we've been released from the law. Uh, Hear those words again. We've been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And uh, this is where this gets really uh, disorienting uh, for people who've uh, perhaps known faith uh, for years or even decades, is uh, there needs to be at some point this uh, dying uh, to the law, to the written letter, uh, to the code, and this living responsively to the Spirit of God, which Jesus uh, gives to every one of us. And uh, so I would ask you to entertain this question with me. What does it mean to serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code? That's an important question for our uh, study this weekend. What does it really mean uh, to serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code? Well, I think it begins by not assuming that our accumulation of knowledge that our body of truth we adhere to, that our catechisms, uh, you know, all of the truth that we think we have uh, assimilated into our lives, uh, to not assume that this has, this has put us uh, in a position of rightness with God. Uh, in fact, uh, what Paul is saying here is the only thing that puts us in a right position with God is responding to the Spirit of God. That's an important uh, awareness to come to. The only thing that puts us in a right position with God is responding to the Spirit of God, which reveals to us the truth about Christ, what he did on the cross, how he rose from the dead, uh, how he comes to us uh, through uh, his Spirit and seeks to uh, convince us about sin and judgment and right living and leads us uh, into life. In fact, in chapter 8, If you want to read ahead, this is what Paul goes into entirely, is that our spirituality comes down to one reality, responding to the Spirit of God in our hearts. You know, I think a a great uh, seasonal uh, picture of this uh, is one of my favorite stories about the birth of Christ. It's the story of Joseph and Mary. And uh, just to catch you up a bit on this, uh, Matthew Uh, Chapter 1, verse 18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. 
And now uh, these important uh, words, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Hear that? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Uh, See, uh, Joseph is a picture of one who was bound to the law. And uh, here God was doing something entirely new, bringing about the life of Jesus through them into the world. And uh, Joseph's adherence to the law, his devotion, his virtue, would have led him entirely away from the plan of God for his life and to bring the life of God into the world through he and Mary. And uh, love the way this uh, little episode comes to a conclusion after Joseph had considered quietly divorcing himself from Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so at that point, uh, Joseph experienced in a dramatic way what it meant to die to the law and live uh, to what the Spirit was doing in his heart. Uh, well, uh, Paul now begins to talk about how do we use the law of God then? If it's not where we find eternal life, if our devotion to it, our, our adherence to it, isn't what gives us virtue before God and allows us to bear the fruit of God in our lives, how do we use the law? And uh, Paul, uh, now at the, from chapter or verse 13 in chapter 7, Uh, all the way through the end of this chapter, will give us uh, his view on what the law should do in us, Uh, beginning in verse 13. Speaking of uh, the the law and the scriptures, uh, did that which is good then become death to me? Uh, In other words, uh, did the law really lead me away from God's will? Did my devotion and adherence to it actually keep me from experiencing God? Uh, And then his answer is, by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, uh, the law used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful to me. You'll remember uh, earlier in our study, uh, Paul said the use of the law should make us conscious of our sin, aware of our desperate need before God. And That's exactly where Paul goes now in verse 14. He says, now we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I am sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. Uh, For uh, what I want to do, I do not do it. But what I hate, I end up doing. Can anyone relate to that? Uh, Paul is beginning to describe now his response to the truth. When the truth hurts, here's what it reveals. I don't do the things I wish I could. Uh, I don't adhere to the heart and the purpose of God and the example of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. And I would just ask you, do you know that? Have you come to that conclusion that being able to live out the good and perfect will of God is impossible uh, within ourselves? I know that no good dwells within me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And so, uh, Paul says, I conclude, I find this is the law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. 
for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. And then uh, Paul reaches this conclusion. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to such death. Uh, and then his uh, wonderful response to that question, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And see, uh, really, uh, now Paul, at the end of this uh, high-velocity ride that can disorient us, can bring on uh, spells of dizziness and make us wonder, uh, where do we really stand before God? And uh, Paul is saying, look, if, if you want to use the truth of God, the scriptures of God, uh, to bring you to a place where you experience the life of God, then really there should be one conclusion we reach. Every time we open the book, uh, every time we read our you version, the conclusion we should reach is that I am utterly sinful. Uh, think about that. Uh, every time we're exposed to the truth of God, there should be this awareness of how woefully short we come uh, to the will and the character and the purpose of God. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's an incredibly humbling conclusion to come to, but it's the one that opens us up to the grace of God. It really is equivalent to dying with Christ in order that we might live with him. Uh, see, every time we open the truth, the law, the scriptures, it should remind us of how desperate our human condition is, that we're slaves to sin. Uh, listen to the words that Paul use, uses to describe himself. I am unspiritual. I am sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, uh, for I, I don't do what I want to, but I do the very thing that I hate. Uh, and see, uh, that is not just a pre-Christian reality. It's something that we face every day of our lives as we seek to move away from the darkness and into the new dawn of the kingdom is there's this ongoing wrestling match and uh, the place that it's won is in that humble acceptance that without the grace of Jesus Christ, I am lost in my sin. Uh, you know, this awareness, uh, this appropriate response uh, to the truth that it actually hurts when it comes. That's a good thing. You know, Paul will talk in one of his other letters about those who have callous hearts, and when the truth comes, it just pings off. Uh, and rather than uh, hearing the truth of God and being brought once again to our knees in our desperate need for uh, grace and mercy, uh, when our hearts are calloused, we read the truth, and we immediately think of how others fall short, uh, how this... Uh, sets others up for judgment, uh, how this raises us up above the masses. Uh, this is an absolutely wrong response uh, to the revealed truth of God. Uh, you know, this humble response, it's like the guy we talked about who goes into the therapist's office and can't risk uh, hearing anything that doesn't align with his self-perception and his self-righteousness. Uh, the opposite of that is the man who walks out of the counseling office saddened. Uh, he's struck, maybe, it's, uh, maybe he walks out of a, 
12-step meeting, and uh, the truth has penetrated his defenses. It's broken through his calloused heart, and there's this great sense of remorse, uh, a desire to, to do better, to live better, to be better, and uh, it's that uh, foundational place where true tra transformation and changes uh, actually occurs. Uh, it's that place where Paul came to, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to invite you to pray with me, and uh, let's just uh, respond to the truth as it has come to us through Paul's words in Romans chapter 7. Paul, we just, uh, God, we just want to thank you for Paul. Uh, thank you for his response to the truth of Jesus Christ. I think of where Paul says, uh, forgetting the things that are behind, uh, I do this one thing, I press on uh, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to take hold of that for which he took hold of me. And Lord, we know that uh, that can be an unsettling uh, way to approach every day of our lives, but it's the place uh, where we get unstuck. We stop doing religious routines, and we lean into this uh, transformation. Uh, we stop being conformed to the pattern of this world, and we start living uh, according to the mercies of God, and we experience the good and perfect will of God uh, being worked out in us, and through us. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, right now, by a miracle of your Spirit, uh, much as you did with Joseph, as he was set in his response to the truth as he knew it, he was going to live out the Scriptures and totally divorce himself from your plan for his life. Lord, would you do that kind of miracle in our hearts where, where you change us uh, in a moment, through a flash of light, Lord, through the, your truth penetrating our defenses, where we're willing to cash it all in. We're willing to die uh, to our religious accumulation of, of truths, heritage, experiences. Uh, consider them all garbage, as Paul said, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And uh, maybe you're listening to these words, and uh, you realize, you know what? I've never opened my heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but there's something in you right now. You want to do that. You're ready for that. And so uh, I just encourage you, uh, pray these words uh, out loud or pray them in your heart. Lord Jesus, I recognize you are the truth. Uh, thank you for coming uh, to me through this message. Thank you for stepping into my world. And Lord, I want to respond to you. I want to open my heart to you. I want to drop my guard and so I say, Lord Jesus, bring your truth into my heart. Set me free. And Lord, allow me to begin to live a life leaning into you, depending on you, opening up to your spirit. Thank you for the promise of your spirit, Lord. You said that this was a gift, that you wouldn't leave me as an orphan, but you would come to me and be with me and guide me into the truth. And so, Lord, we... We all right now open up uh, to the influence of your Holy Spirit, especially in these days, Lord, when we know it's your desire to, to brighten our spirits, uh, to give us the light of your truth uh, deep within us. And Lord, uh, that may hurt, it may be uncomfortable, but it will always lead us to a place uh, 
where we experience your, your goodness and your mercy and your willingness uh, to accept us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.